Okay, uh, let's get started. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining. Um, I think how many of us here? We have uh, around eight people here, but I think the rest will join uh, later. So usually we started out, uh, some people will, will be late. <clears throat> Okay, I'll just start with uh, like these two questions that I want to address and then I'll prepare a couple of slides uh, just to help with the discussion. I think my presentation will take around, let's say, five, maybe at most 10 minutes. Uh, and then later we will go through the uh, slide and see if there's any questions. Then we just go around, see who can help to answer. Uh, okay, uh, the first questions, uh, this is a question come from Anonymous. DCA index, is it confirmed? 8% in the long run. If it is, I think I just DCA. So I, I just want to pull up this uh, chart, right? This is the, this is taken from the Credit Suisse uh, report. I think this is a very useful one. Uh, I always refer this, uh, this picture whenever people are asking about like, okay, what was the long-term return of the um, stock market, right? So I think the whole point here is just saying that, okay, if you talk about long-term return, people always quote numbers like 8%, 9%, 10%, right? As if this is something that is given, right? It's like you, you buy a government bond yielding 2%, then you know you, you're getting 2%. And then you are buying equities, then everyone is saying 8, 9, 10%. But how does these numbers, where does these numbers came from, right? So I just want to quickly explain that actually there's not really like a theoretical numbers or theoretical returns that we should expect. All these numbers actually, uh, people are having some basis, right? Just to calculate. And the most common basis is actually just the ex uh, historical return. And this report is very good because they compile the return from um, 1900 up until now. So you have like around 120 years of data. And then you just look at past data, look at the equity return, the bond return, the bills return, and look at the inflation. And just want to make sense of if uh, one person invests in equities, in this case, we are referring to the US equities, how much will be the um, return, the historical return. And then if we assume the future return is the same as historical return, then you, you can take this as a, you're relying on historical data to judge what is the future return. But that doesn't mean that the future return will be the same as the past, right? Yeah, so this is the caveat now. So if you look at the chart on the left-hand side, right, the equities return, this is nominal uh, returns, is 9.7% re annualized. Um, and it looks like almost like a straight line, right? You see uh, $1 invested uh, as of 1900 after like two world wars and so on, right? Then now you end up with like 69,754. So you analyze the, the, the returns here, you'll get something like 9.7%. Uh, bond, these are the, you know, the I think these are the treasury bond uh, with some durations. Uh, so let's say, I don't know what's the duration, let's say five to 10 years. Bills, these are the one that's uh, having very short term. It's also bond, but uh, they call it bills because it's very short in duration. Usually it's like one year or so. Uh. And then, uh, of course, inflation is 2.9% average out throughout this period. Uh. There are periods that's higher, there's period that's uh, lower. And then um, the right-hand side is actually they try to calculate what is the real terms, right? Real terms means that how much is the return as compared to the inflation. So if you take the return of equities, bond, and bills, you just minus the inflation, right? Then you get the real returns. But I think for now, just to keep it simple, right? Um, Average market return for US is 9.7%. 
Hence, uh, we keep hearing people to say, uh, saying that, yeah, if you invest in index, which is the average market, right, then you could expect like, let's say um, 10%. If you just take the history, but if you say actually historical, it is much higher also because inflation is higher, then uh, you might want to just rely on the equity risk premium, right, which is this 6.6%. And moving forward, if you believe that inflation will be much lower, then you just take the risk premium 6.6%, plus the um, inflation that we expect to see in, in the future, then uh, from there you can um, like derive what's the long-term returns. Uh. So I think if you look at all this data, right, more or less uh, the range will be, let's say between seven to 10, you can go up to like 11%, uh, but that's the average market return. Anyone that can, uh, anyone that tell you that, okay, if you invest in index, you can get 15%, um, it is possible, let's say within short period of time, five, 10 years, this kind of period, there will be period where the index return will be higher than 10%. It could go up to even 15%, right? But uh, usually these are not sustainable over like long period of time. Right? By long period, I mean like decades. Right? So this is just a, a good good uh, resources. Right? Then uh, why I'm saying like, okay, 15, 20%, this kind of return is not reliable not sustainable for uh, decades, right? It's because all these stock market returns uh, ultimately still need to fall back to the business, right? How how much can the business grow? And uh, by by business, what I mean is that uh, earning per shares. Uh, because usually if you look at the GDP numbers, right? GDP numbers, uh, they are not like, they can grow like 10, 15%, right? Usually it's like a single digit, single low digit could be between let's say two, three, four or, or first percent. These are the range, right? But from the uh, GDP, you flow into the corporate revenues and then from the corporate revenues, uh, there's some operating leverage and then flow down to the net income, right? And usually the percentage growth will be, will be higher. And then some companies that are doing share buyback, they're reducing their shares, right? And the earning per share, because the share is decreasing, right? So the EPS will be growing at higher pace than just the net income. So these are the different components but anyway what i want to say is that you you still need to go, go back to the fundamentals of the business right if the eps is growing at let's say between five to seven percent let, let's look at this line uh, the, the upper line here this is uh, reflecting a seven percent growth right so the stock market will not grow significantly higher than seven percent and in fact just now we are seeing this uh nine percent right but in this period, let's say from the 60s until now, um, this looks to be like lower, right? 7% compared to, like, sorry, 7% compared to the 9%. It's also because within this period, right, there, there are some uh, price multiple expansions. Uh. So what it means is that the business is growing at 7%, but you are investing in stock, you are getting slightly higher because now the stock market is, uh, the, the price multiple or the valuation is, getting higher and that valuation multiple expansions right will also contribute to the return or, or to the increase in the share price yeah so um still th that's what i try to say that if you invest in dca uh you dca into s p 500 or some broad market uh, index right first you, you need to believe that these um fundamentals of the business will grow over time and then they will grow at a similar pace uh as in let's say in in the history historical uh, data uh, about the same pace. Uh, it's not like, okay, going up and then suddenly just string, right? Then you can reasonably get something like between seven to 10%. Uh. So this is the business part. And then uh, 
another thing I want to mention is that that questions just now, right? Is saying that okay, is it like sure win kind of return, right? If you invest, let's say like uh S&P 500, is, is it like seven percent or ten percent? Is it something that's sure win? Actually, it's not, because if you look at the period in the past, right, there will be you see some period there's like bubble period, right, which is the dot com bubble in two thousand. And then you have the real estate bubble around 2007 uh, to 2009, uh, the bubble burst, right? So if you are unlucky, right? And you, at, at this moment, actually, you don't know you are in the bubble. It's after it crashed, then only we know, right? And you, if you invest in this period, let's say in the 2000, uh, after experience uh, bubble crash, and then you continue just DCA across, right? There, another bubble crash, right? In this period, spend around nine years, Actually, the return is very, very bad uh, just because of, uh, you know, market cycles, right? So whoever saying that, okay, just invest in S&P 500, then you will get, um, let's say, like a, a sure win kind of returns, right? Just need to be aware that um, even if you're just very disciplined in when it comes to investing, but if these kind of things happen, then you could still lose money over, let's say, like 10, 15 years. These are all still possible. Uh, we, we need to um, be aware of that. Uh. Then the, the next problem, uh, the next question is that, are we currently in the bubble or not, right? So um, then this one, nobody's know, right? Because there are different opinions. I myself, I, I don't believe that currently we are in a big bubble, but uh, definitely the valuations uh, is not cheap compared to the historical period. Uh. The one you can look at Schiller PE and so on, then you can roughly gauge uh, where's the market valuation. Uh. So with the elevated uh, valuations, right, we, we all should, um, let's say, expect slightly lower returns, um, but but uh, crash like 50, 60% discount of crash, unless there's a very big event, systemic uh, risk that, that blows up, right, then uh, I'm not expecting that to happen. Uh. But uh, the point of this chart is just showing that if you start high and low, of course, you will lose money. Don't uh, take it as a sure win kind of investment strategy. Uh, Money that put into the stock, stock market, right, is always at risk now. Yeah. Actually, un um, until here, just want to pause like a couple of seconds. Any other questions? If we just stop here. If longer questions, maybe we cover later. Okay, if no, uh, let, let me just quickly finish uh, up my presentations here. Then, um, yeah, this is the returns, right? If we include even the dividends return, right? From March uh, 2000 to March 2009, which is this period, this two yellow line here, um, every year you will lose uh, around 5% every year. For nine years, you know, uh, this is this is the average return. So just to tell you that there will be period um, spent across like nine years, and you just keep on DCA, DCA, and you still, you still lose money. It is definitely possible. Um, you know, this is very important to to uh, to know this because I've seen there are, um, I mean, friends in, let's say, some other um, telegram groups, right? People invested for like one or two years or three years, and then they saw that they are still in the red, right? Then they are disappointed. Um, yeah, need to be aware that volatility can, can be quite high, right? And whenever you take a snapshot, uh, during this kind of period, of course, you could invest for like uh, 10 years, 10 plus years and still lose money. Yeah. So this this is definitely possible. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the that's the, the first questions. And then let me also quickly uh, cover the, the second questions. Um, of course, later, if you guys have any opinion on this, uh, also please feel free to share. Um, yeah, the second question is, bull run continues this year seems too good to be true. Um, yeah, here I 
try to give a comment or, or my opinions, not to say I want to like predict uh, whether we are going to see the bull run or whether we're going to see a market crash. I just want to, you know, I, I come from like mathematics background, right? I just want to share some some of this concept or, or philosophy that uh, came from mathematics. Um, and I think this this one can help us to visualize how, how can we see the stock market from a probabilistic perspective. Uh, point of view. So, you know, like those who work in financial in the, uh, industry, and then if you are dealing with risk management, right, one key important uh, way of managing the risk is actually uh, the simulation. Uh, by simulation, what I mean is, is the simulations of the, you know, all the stock price, interest rate, and so on. Um, and then one common um, simulations uh, model that is used for stock market, right? Um, this is what they call the Brownian motion. So this is actually, uh, they call it like a stochastic models. So stochastic model, right, is different from deterministic model in the sense that stochastic, they, they don't say, okay, I have this scenario. I think this is the path that we are moving forward. There's only one scenario. That one we call the deterministic, right? Like uh, Mr. Liu from YM65 also say, right? If you invest in, uh, you put your money in CPF, right? You get like, I don't know, like 4% a year. That one is deterministic because there's no variation or no volatility, right? But you invest in stock market, uh, it's always volatile, right? And how the model is, is that um, they, they just uh, put it in a very simple and elegant uh, uh, elegant uh, formula. Um, it's just that saying that, okay, the rate of change of the stock price, right, um, is the summation of two parts, right? The first part is the drift, and then the second part is the noise or the volatility. Uh. So the drift, right, this is the, you know, like I mentioned just now, as the business grow over time, right, if you have a 50 years uh, kind of data, business grow, it, is, it keep on drift upward. Uh. You see this chart? Uh, sorry, this chart, right? If you pull a long period of time, I think this is a better one. If you look at it over like a long period of time, it always drift upward one. But within uh, all this timing, if you just zoom in, right, you will see that they will, they will, uh, they will be zigzagging within the periods. Huh? So the drift, right? The, the long-term upward, this is the, the drift part. And the second part, uh, this is the, the volatility. And this W here, right, this DW, this is the Brownian motion term. And this is the, the volatility the, in that period. So pay attention to, uh, let, me, let me illustrate it using here. So this is the drift uh, from 1935 to 2022. You can see it just keep uh, going upward. And the drift part, right, this DT, right, is very simple. What it says is that you want to calculate how much it drift upward, right? What it determines how much it trip is just the, how long it takes. The DT is the delta of the time, right? Uh, the longer the time period, the more it just, the, the more uh, upward it would drift. Uh. So this is uh, the deterministic part. You just go up straight line. And then the second part, right, which is the uh, volatility part, right, is that when you zoom in, let's say I just zoom into uh, 1973 here, right? This just this period, very small period here looks small uh, from longer perspective, right? If you just zoom in, you see that actually, uh, no, actually the market dropped by 48% from 1973 to 1974. Because if you zoom in within like two years, this DT is very small, right? Only two years. This DT only visible when you are looking at it uh, from a, how many, like 70 years period of time. So long horizon, this one will, will be a dominant force 
But if you zoom in to like, let's say six months, three months, right? Or, or even two years, right? This short period of time, uh, the second part will be the dominant force. La. So you can see that market can drop 50%. So um, come back to this equation is that I, I know people are like, try to understand, uh, want to know like how market will perform over the next three months, six months, nine months. This, this is very much like a trading kind of mindset, right? Who cares about the next uh, 50 years where, we, we, are, we, we care more about like short term, right? Uh, but please remember that although daily news or daily chatters, uh, we are all just discussing the, the volatility part. But what uh, what is more important over the long period of time is this uh, the first part of which is the, the upward drift. Uh, and the upward drift, right, is always uh, come back to the to the all these uh, you know fundamentals uh, of the business like GDP uh, of the economy and then the revenue and then the net income. That's why I say uh, how any companies that we're discussing, right? Um, the stock price should drop 30, 50%, that could happen. But ultimately you still need to ask, right? Actually, uh, how, how's their revenue doing? Uh, are they having any problem on the revenue side? How's their profit margin doing? Because the profit margin and the revenue growth, right? Will drive the, um, returns or earning per shares over a long period of time, right? And this one is the one that actually support the earnings uh, or the or the increase in the index or share price over a long period of time. Okay. Any questions uh, so far on, on this part? If not, I'll continue first. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, the third part that I just want to... Um, uh, share with you guys is uh, a conversation that I have with one of my friends. I got his permission to share this, uh, but he just mentioned that I don't share his name. Nah, so I'll keep his name uh, like uh, keep it for myself. I'm not sharing, but the, the journey I can share a bit. Nah. Okay. Um, actually, this one happened um, yeah, almost one year. You see, uh, April 5th last year, right? So he, he was sharing with me um, uh, this screenshot from the brokerage app. Um, actually, he's, I think, fairly new to investing, uh, quite young, graduated since, I think, let's say, a couple of years back. I, I don't re recall exactly, maybe like three years back. Uh. Um, he just shared me, this is, a, I think, it's a, uh, one of the uh, popular brokerage. So th those who, who know, they, they will know, um, uh, come from which brokerage. So he showed me that, okay, he has 6,000, this is in US dollar, uh, in, into, the, into the stock. And then um, I say, okay, um, uh, good job. Uh, congrats for like uh, starting investing, right? Let's uh, invest this uh, portfolio and make it become like a large portfolio, right? So uh, this is ultimately all of our goals here, right? Then uh, since the first time he shared it with me, then in the subsequent months, he also shared with me the progress. Uh. So uh, 14th of April, then um, I think he hasn't, hasn't put in money here and then just see that, okay, I think there's some drawdown in the market. And by the way, he's not investing in like S&P 500. Lah. I think he also did some long-term investing into single names. Um, I think quite heavy into Asia stocks, lah, just, so, just for your information. Um, then there's some volatility market down, right? And then uh, 27, I think he also put in some money here and then uh, this is the progress, right? Uh, you see, over a short period of time from, uh, you know, April until May, just two months, right? Market can always go up and down, right? So it's quite volatile. Um, then 2nd June, uh, put in more money. Uh, of course, volatility plus uh, how much money that he put in. Uh. Um, then these are the chart, 
uh, I mean, my, my response to him, like, you see, he, he was sharing that, okay, a roller coaster, up and down, up and down, high volatility is fine. Then I keep remind, I remind him, uh, I say, uh, but the trend must be up. And the trend must be up, not just uh, referring to the to the share price, right? You're so referring to like you have to put money in so that this uh your portfolio size need to go up over time, right? Then you say, yep, we'll pump again. Haha. <laughs> then uh continue to go up. You see now it's like, like seven thousand already. Uh just like two or three months after he first showed me, right? Then continue. This is August. All this you see all this huge jump, right? This definitely is like he, he's putting money into the portfolio. Right? Then um, after putting m money into the portfolio, then drop again. Time to pump again. Yeah, so this is the conversation that we had. And then again, you see, there's another straight line here, pump again. And then here, pump again. All this right, is that over time, you see the, the different months he shared with me, the journey of keep on building his portfolio. Right? So December last year, um, peak and then drop. So this is how he build the portfolio, right? You, you can see that actually we don't focus so much on like uh, worrying whether the market will drop or not because this por portfolio is still very new, like it just gets started, right? Um, still DCA. Actually, the market volatility doesn't affect so much on how much it, it will grow. Actually, whether the portfolio will grow or not really depends on how much money that he put in. Uh. After after build up to like large uh, size, right? Let's say like 100,000 or 200,000, then... Um, Every ten percent uh, increase in the market, right, uh, will be a huge increase uh, of the portfolio, and that's where the compounding effect come in. Uh. But in the beginning years, right, it's all about like just keep pumping, pumping uh, money in. Uh. So this is uh, this year already. You see, uh, from the early this year, there's some volatility, right? After pumping money in, uh, market drop again, and then I think he got his bonus or whatever. I don't, I don't recall, but I just saw that why wow, this is crazy. Another another uh, pump into the portfolio. Um, yeah, to the moon, you see, impressive pump. It's all about the pumping, uh, putting money to work. Uh. Yeah. So you see, now it's already like 16. I think the latest one is 17,000. So you have 17,000 built uh, in uh, like just within one year, right? And you, you, you know, uh, this person is still very young. As long as he's not uh, like, withdrawing money from the portfolio, right? And with the kind of mindset that keep on building the portfolio, keep on uh, putting in money into the work, and then uh, keep buying great assets, right? Um, I think practically there's like zero chance that uh, this person's financial will be doing badly. La. I'm very confident that uh, this is a good mindset to go. La. Yeah, so you see, heading to the right direction. So what I'm saying here is that, you know, this um, group that we are having, right? Sometimes it's not like uh, giving tips to each other to say, okay, uh, I have a good uh, stock recommendation. Please invest uh, the same as me. I think this is not uh, the purpose. Of course, we can we can have some discussion on uh, whether a, a company is good to invest or not. I think these are all good discussion. But when it comes to, let's say, like um, building a portfolio over a long period of time, right? Sometimes it's about like um, encouragement. Like we all encourage each each other right focus less uh, on the noise for example like uh, whether market will crash this this type of short-term volatility noise but um, put on more uh, encouragement to each other that um, actually we are here to build our portfolio and in order to do well we need to just keep on uh, building and not to be discouraged by 
you know, like negative events around the world and just say, okay, uh, why not I just wait until the market crash, then I only invest, right? Because when the market just keep going up, it's harder for you to chase anymore, right? You should buy whenever, um, like there's good opportunity and always focus on buying good uh, companies. Uh. Okay, this is a very short uh, presentation. I hope it's short. Uh, I think I, take, I took longer than 10 minutes. I'll just stop here. I'll just stop here, uh, then we go to the slide door. But before that, any, any feedback? Anyone want to share any feedback uh, thus far on, on the presentation? Or any question? Okay, no questions. Okay, then um, let's go to the slide though. Um, yeah, okay, come back to the first question again. Um, DCA index, is it confirmed 8% in the long run? Uh, if it gets, I think I just DCA. Okay, I've given my response. Uh, I just want to see around, anyone want to give any comment on the first question here? Okay, no, uh, let's move on. With the departure of uh, Chicken Genius Singapore from the YouTube scene, what is your take on YouTubers claiming to be trade gurus and then exploiting old and new investors' minds? Well, this is technically not investing questions, but uh, let's see. Anyone have any opinions on like uh, Chicken Genius uh, like uh, leaving YouTube or any, any comment to share? Hey, so quiet today. <laughs> no one want to share. Uh, I'll go first. Later, you, you guys can uh, add, add uh, your opinions. Um, I think, yeah, Chicken Genius, right? I recall the first time I saw his video was uh, really during the market crash of uh, 2000 when the COVID crash. I still remember the video was about like he saying that, okay, um, market has crashed and then he draw, he looked at the S&P chart and then he just draw a, a, a line upward and say that uh, you should invest now. Um, you will thank me later in two years time. Some, something like that. Uh, he, basically, he's saying that uh, very bull bullish that the market will go up uh, because market is so depressed uh, at the time, right? So that was the first time that uh, I saw his video. I think there are quite a numbers of um, viewers uh, actually uh, inspired by him to actually start investing, right? Like it could be investing in Tesla or any other companies, but uh, it's really an inspiration for quite a number of people. So, so if he really like just uh, leave YouTube scene and never come back, right? I think this is really a big loss for um, like uh, the community. Um, like I, I really hope that he will come back, right? Uh, I mean, take a rest, all these are good, right? But, um, you know, connections with the viewers, um, I think this is something that is good for the mental health uh, long term. So I, I hope that he will come back and just uh, chill around and don't take uh, all this negative comment too seriously. Uh. So that's my wish. And then uh, come back to the question is that, um, you know, YouTubers claiming to be trade gurus. I think, yes, 
there are quite a numbers of like gurus, uh, let's say some of them advertise on Facebook, YouTube, right? And then, uh, they might give some free seminar and then free seminar turn to a paid, uh, courses, right? Um, actually, I don't know. I think this is, I mean, if the course is really those very high quality one and really teach you some, uh, good knowledge, right? Then I don't, I see it as just like a educational kind of business, right? So you pay for the education, they prepare the education and they share it with you, right? And it's a transaction, right? So I think there's no problem with that. It's just that you need to value like whether the educations or the cost that they thought is the, uh, is high quality or, or not. And whether the mon amount of money that you pay, right, is, uh, like reasonable, um, uh, fees or, or cost fee, right? If it is a reasonable one, I think I, I don't have like a very strong opinion on that. Uh, it's just like someone spend the money to buy a huge TV, right? Um, and if the TV ha has good quality, why not, right? It really depends on uh, each person uh, like preference. Um, that's one. Second thing is that uh, I, I don't know, like some people would, would doubt, right, whether all these courses are worth like, let's say a couple hundred dollars or even thousands of dollars, right? Um, yeah, I think that right now, if you go to YouTube and then you just search, right, there are already so many, um, free and good quality content, right? So I, I don't know like how much value can this, um, like, um, you know, trade gurus, how much value can, can they give, uh, from educational perspective? Right? Because if you just want to get the education, you can just go to YouTube and search, right? So I think also because of that, many gurus, instead of like really selling educations, right, they are now suddenly selling like stock tips, right? So I think this is a, like a very negative kind of development because when they start to sell stock picks and you pay money to get that tips, right? Um, some joiners uh, who have a very high expectation that, okay, this guru, they are selling these kind of things, they must be very good, right? And then they are recommending stock ABC and then they, they just follow into it and then uh, not just follow into the pigs and then they, they will do in a way that is not prudent enough, for example, like uh, doing all these like options, uh, margin, these kind of things. And then when the market turn, where you see some uh, stock actually drop by 50, 70, 80% kind of uh, magnitude, right? That's when all this margin, uh, trade or, uh, put options, all this get into like big shits. Lah. So that's why I would say that, uh, before you subscribe to any of this, please make sure that you know what you are paying for. Um, if it is, uh, just for education, then I think no difference compared to someone going to attend university, right? Yeah. But if you are paying for stock tips, then, you might want to like uh chicken genius say right you might want to like ask yourself or, or ask the trainer or the gurus like how good is their track record and what's the uh how how they come up with this uh like pull thesis on certain companies right so these are the fair questions to ask now i would say um whether they are exploiting others or not um i won't comment much because um sometimes it's all about the person that being exploited also just this is one example right you know uh in telegram groups there are so many all these scammers right um and their tactics are all like 99 percent the same one they are following script 
uh, sometimes I chat with all these scammers as well just to understand like what they're trying to do, right? I, I don't get into that details, just a surface chat. They, they are following script. Like within like two minutes, I know that they are scammers already, right? But there are still people that fall into all these scams, right? So who, whose uh, responsibility, right? Um, is the scammers, if there's gurus that uh, try to exploit people's and then uh, you, you didn't like do enough study and you get exploited, there's no difference as compared to like being scammed by scammers, right? So just need to be careful, sna. yeah. Don't don't um, blindly follow others. Na. If everyone just blindly follow others, then why you still need to do your trades, right? Why not you just pass the monies that you have to the gurus and ask him to yeah, invest on your behalf, right? Yeah, so um, then if you do all this trade yourself, then you, you ca cannot blame uh, others. La. It could be your friend, could be gurus, could be anyone, right? You, you can't blame others. Uh, once you start to blame others, then you, you just stop learning. So. so this is also something that is important. I'll stop here. Uh, you see, uh, once I start to answer, I'll take all the time already. Um, anyone want to comment on this first one? Okay, no, then I'll, we just proceed. Huh? Uh, Hello? Yes, Kevin. Hi, I'm hi, for <laughs> yeah, I just want to add something. I think uh, regarding this kind of uh, phenomenon of uh, uh, gurus, right? Uh, I, wait, uh, okay, sorry, my cuckoo clock. Anyway, the, the, um, I think it boils down to the education uh, system to a certain extent. Especially most of the education system nowadays are very uh, much uh, in the spoon feeding kind of uh, category. So the students do not, uh, you know, take responsibility to think criti critically on uh, what they what they have uh, <coughs> um, received from the teacher. So then in the end, right when you do not get the outcome that is intended, you tend to blame uh, your teacher. But we cannot. Uh, we cannot compare like the formal kind of education to this kind of uh, financial education because in the formal education, most of the outcomes are actually already uh, fixed. So it's like a law, like no physics law and everything. But in, in financial education, right, a lot of it is still in a theory and it has so many factors that affect the outcome. So what I think that the uh, the, the YouTube scene uh, is uh, maybe uh, too, too, too much, too prevalent is that a lot of uh, the, the viewers do not think uh, critically. They, they tend to take, uh, they tend to worship the, the financial gurus and, and then uh, you know, when, when you don't get a certain outcome, right, you tend to turn into like the, the internet troll and you, and also because coupled with the uh, anonymity, anonymity of the internet, then, you know, you tend to, to start to like have, uh, you, you tend to not be uh, conservative like, in, in, in criticizing other people. But of course, criticizing is criticizing, right? But to a certain extent, uh, you may cause hurt. So um, that is uh, that part. And also regarding, you know, the, the feud between like the meet Kevin and, and those, those people, they, they are also there just for the, you know, for the views, for the content, try to be relevant. Okay, they, they, they um, tend to exploit this kind of uh, trends uh, because, you know, YouTube 
in the internet, right, trends can die very fast. So of course they want to be stay relevant. So they will do this kind of things, or to to make uh to, to, to so that they can stay relevant uh, to their viewers. And then uh regarding Chicken Genius, I I also uh, resonate that yeah, it's a loss uh, to the community, especially uh you don't get so many uh this kind of uh, content creators where they don't really ask much from you, right? They just uh, share their thoughts and then if you want to listen, you listen all. Then if you don't listen, you think that his, uh, his uh, content is not worth your time. You just click away. Lah. But, you know, some people tend to take that too hard seriously and then they tend to have the hurt mentality. So when someone says this is bad, they also think that this person is bad. So I think uh, that's, the, that's the norm nowadays. Lah. A lot of people just stick... Uh, don't 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 want to take responsibility, la. So I hope that uh, we we all get we all learn a lesson from this. Or if you want to uh take any advice from even offline, right, from people, you know, can learn learn about uh what is uh their background or what is their intention. Do they have any hidden agenda? And then think critically, la. Don't don't just uh take everything as as gospel. Thanks, thanks for the comment. Yeah, definitely. Um, take responsibility is very important. Anyone else? <laughs> I think this is the hot topic of the week, right? Um, yeah, just one video from Chicken Genius sparked so many discussion in almost all the uh, chat group, you know, um, that I'm in. I saw there's the the video Chicken Genius video forwarded, and then people discuss about it. Anyone else want to share your view? Okay, uh, okay, no, let's move on. Uh, thoughts on possible recession. Market has been rallying as uncertainty regarding interest rate was removed, but with Ukraine Russia war not getting any. And then the part two, uh, is that better? Okay, sorry. But with Ukraine Russia war not getting any better and commodity prices rising, are investors being overly optimistic? Targeted interest rate also seems too low to combat inflation. Anyone want to give your opinions on recession? This one I need to point to uh, Miss Billions. <laughs> let, let, can, can you speak now? Yes. <clears throat> why? Why is that me answering? <laughs> As the one that gives some like very optimistic view, right? I, I actually want to hear from you, like, because um, I, I okay. I will just start with just the first line, right? Is that I also don't think that recession will be coming because you know if you look at job mar market, right, it's all like uh, booming markets, and then people are having jobs, right? And for those who are in all these like tech or uh, tech sectors, they will see that there are actually quite a number of uh, lines of business that are still like growing very fast, right? And you, uh, you are in, I think, considered I, tech related, I, right? Yeah, yeah software related. Uh. So, you, so let, let's share, can you share with us like in your business, right? How, how is it uh, in the past, let's say uh, one month, one year or so? Is it like um, good? Yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, COVID, we did the best. We, we have uh, absolutely like, Oh my God, performance like in 2020. I, I don't even know why, but just suddenly everybody wanted something during 2020. So we smashed a record of sales in and bonus in 2021. And uh, just started this year, uh, this quarter, 
I have a few colleagues already reach uh, the whole year KPI, including me. So I, I already hit my KPI 100%. So the sales is so incredible that I don't even know how to tell you that people are just buying nonstop. So what, what I see is that I, I don't know, it's just my little opinion. Um, I, I don't see there's a recession coming. Um, the current price increase is concerning. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I think it's, it's really due to, um, demand and supply. So when there's a still a demand means people are still buying. Um, they want to buy means they're still optimistic about the uh, environment they're in and they still have the means to buy. Um, especially properties, you can see that, um, yeah, and property is a very uh, long-term um, uh, asset that you have to pay and uh, it's a very high, uh, it's a very capital-intensive asset to own um, upfront. So that means people are quite optimistic about the ability to pay so, uh, yeah, I, I see the job is coming back, especially now um, Singapore is opening and everywhere else is, is opening. So um, I I can only look forward and it looks like it is going to be better. Um, yeah, the only concern is just about inflation, but I see that people are still coping really well. I, yeah, I don't see a lot of uh, distress. Mm, yeah job is coming back seems seems to be even better now yeah and uh, just for background right your business is in uh, related to software right so nothing to do with all this you know like energy shortage this manufacturing uh, let's say uh, chip shortage this kind of um, let's say on the manufacturing side doesn't affect your business at all right it's all like pure software uh, right uh, yeah, uh, no. Um, so we, we do sell hardware also. Um, so, uh, yes, chip shortage is something that, uh, the client's concern and as well as the uh, logistic to, to ship items from US coming to Singapore. Um, some of our vendors have problem, uh, even sending for a year. Even you, you order now that they can't even deliver within this year. So, um, what, best is that we just ask them if they want alternative. So there, there is always an alternative brand that is already available. And if it's compatible, um, yeah, they can sell you about the same price or sometimes can be even cheaper and they can get it uh, with 50% uh, lesser time to, de to be delivered. So there's always an alternative brand um, available. If that's not um, then a bit too bad, but in our IT line, there's always uh, there's always some substitute. Yeah. Okay. Um. Thanks. Thanks a lot on that. Yeah. I think. Uh. So you are saying that. Uh. Basically, when it comes from demand perspective, is that okay? Demand is very high, and people just want to buy stuff and just want to get more business. Business is growing well. It's just that on the supply side, some uh sectors will be affected let's say by all this um like shipping and also materials they, they, there will be some it's mostly on the producer side that's not able to fulfill the demands rather than there's no demand right so some some of this demand will spill over to next year if they can't fulfill it within this year that's why um quite a bullish on the outlook for the rest of this year and probably also next year right that, that's what you're saying right 
Yeah, yes. So uh, our current, yeah, I mean, I, I cannot speak on all other industry, but from our current uh, industry in the IT perspective, um, this year uh, we get the order uh, fulfillment. If let's say customer insists to be delivered, um, I will see. Yeah, next year we'll deliver it to them. Then uh, it's a next year revenue, most likely also. But uh, this year we already fulfilled um, most of our client needs, um, especially on the service side. Uh, we have a lot of service uh, requests. Um, so, it, and uh, yeah, people also going to cloud. Uh, so that's why that there's a lot of uh, demand for cloud. Uh, so it, it's great uh, because when it's cloud, it's just a, a software type of things, uh, update and patches. Um, so the shortage of the chips will not affect too much. And also because of this uh, shortage of equipments, um, client is thinking about how, how to move themselves to the cloud uh, so that they will not uh, face this type of um, embarrassed uh, situation right now, like they are kind of in between. Um, they don't have the updated uh, version of the equipment and they are not yet onboarded on the cloud. So a lot of them are now... Uh, doing the proposal to see how, how to onboard themselves to the cloud. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank, thanks a lot for, uh, for the comment. Yeah. I think uh, my, my comment uh, just to add on here is that, you know, uh, you can see that, okay, all this, of course, depends on which industry and which business lines, right? They are all different. But uh, if we just look at it broadly, right, um, there's no problem on the demand side. Uh, um so, you know, demand will be strong and that is why the inflation is here, right? Because whenever demand higher than supply and then prices will go up, right? So this is just like, uh, economic, uh, economics 101. So with that high demands, right? Usually it's very unlikely to hit into recession that soon. Um, because recession is when there's no, um, uh, economic activity, right? So you, it's very rare to have a recession at, uh, and also like the stagflation scenarios are inflation's very high and then there's a uh, lower market activity this is very rare because usually when the inflation is high at least you are seeing that at least the normal gdp will be growing right so uh, i think that's definitely good for the business especially those uh in the sectors that has seen very high demand then the second question is uh, on the supply side, let's say all these chip shortages uh, and Russia-Ukraine war, will it spill over to like all these food prices increase? Um, I think for now, general consensus is that inflation will still stay high, uh, let's say throughout the rest of this year. But whether this is this will be so high until like um, the economy will actually just like slow down, right? It's still... Uh, so far, I, I, I don't see like a very clear sign. Um, if you look at like high inflation and then recession, which is the stagflation period that was like 1970s, right? That period, the oil price just shoot up. Uh, and it's not just oil price shoot up, uh, just a price issue, you know, it's also the supply. I think that time there's some problem with the embargo, oil embargo, right? So, uh, the countries literally run off of uh, oils. So without oil, I mean, the economy would just, just die down, right? They, they need the oil to run the industry because this is the main source of energy, right? So that was the period back then. Uh, uh, since then, if you look at the oil supply today versus like uh, in the 70s, right, it's very different. US, they are still producing, they, they can produce oil using the shale gas uh, 
um, technology, right? And then Saudi, they're still producing, producing oil. So we, we don't have a problem to the extent that, okay, suddenly no oil cannot run, right? That's why I say, I, I, I don't think, um, let's say all these supply shock, uh, to the extent to leads to like stagflation. I don't think it is, uh, very high. So that's my view. But, um, the inflation is still the tricky one. Uh, they still need to address that because we are looking at, let's say, like 8% could go up to 9%, right? Uh, how much uh, interest rate that the Fed need to rise the, the short rate in order to bring down the inflations, right? Then let's say if they rise it, uh, hike it to, let's say, 2 or 3%, is it still enough or not? If it is not enough, they need to hike another 1%. Would that higher interest rate actually cause a slowdown in economy? Uh, I think within three or six months, still very hard to see. And so far, no sign, uh, but it could happen. It's just that uh, we are talking about like, if you ask me about the like, timing, right, I would say uh, probably next year recession uh, probability will be higher than this year because right now uh, it's the, the interest rate is still low and then um, all this demand is still here, right? But after you hike it to like 3%, then uh, the story could be very different, right? But that is, let's say, like next year. Yeah, okay. I think that's a comment on these two questions. Then the rest, I think I don't have much insight, uh, you know, uh, all this question about like commodity, will uh, use Russia, Ukraine war cause the neon gas uh, to be in short supply and then uh, chip shortages become even more like serious. All these things really, I, I don't know, I don't have that much insight, uh, so I, I don't comment too much. Uh. Okay, uh, I think should be enough for this question. Let's uh, move on to the next one. Anyone invested in Adobe? Any insights into the companies plus pool or bear? Actually, who's here? Uh, anyone want to comment on Adobe? I don't recall we discussed in the group before, uh, at least not like in details. La. Is Gavin here? Software things usually I will just refer to Gavin. Uh, you have any insight or not? If yes, please give your comment. If not, we have to move on. Not much, uh, but uh, Adobe is, is just a very mature company. Also, it's like you can't expect huge growth. But the, it's something similar to Microsoft where there's just a product suite that they are just selling as a whole package. So... There's a lot of uh, products together in the suite that's packaged together. But you cannot expect huge growth because it's, it's already around for very long. Very mature company. Oh. Not, not much to say here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, th thanks for the comment. Yeah, I think uh, Adobe, uh, I mean, among these companies that buying into this uh, subscription business model, right? I think Adobe one is really uh, considered like a success um, cases where they really trans like shift their business from like all these to you know per license now become like a subscription like monthly monthly subscription or yearly subscription i think this is really a good execution on adobe side um other than that yeah i would say that their core business is very strong um like adobe premiere pro all this software right so those who work in the content or like all this uh, entertainment industry media industry uh, i think they will know like how dominant uh they are in the in, in this um in this area so this is definitely the good stuff but um my, another bad thesis is that um on the you know there's also other 
alternative providers, for example, like Canva, right? So I think oh, Canva also mentioned a couple of times in the chat group uh, in, in the past. Um, these are like, uh, how to say, this is the the cloud offerings kind of things, uh, very simple, but then they get the jobs done. Uh. So because in terms of functionality, I think uh, the mass market, they don't need like all this uh, very advanced um functions that's offered by Adobe. They just want something that is simple, can get the job done, and then can come up with good graphics. I think there are alternatives like Canva that is actually disrupting Adobe from the bottoms. Uh. So I think this is something that need to take note. Um, yeah, other than that, it's a very strong business. In terms of valuation, I haven't looked into it uh, in details. Uh, I think it's uh, kind of like, like uh, Gavin just said, uh, it's a solid business, uh, not, not like those small high growth business. Uh. Uh, but it's not just Premiere Pro and Photoshop. I think they have other businesses as well. Uh, for example, you know, when I research into DocuSign, uh, take a look, right? Uh, all these DocuSign, uh, signing of contract, all these things. Adobe also have their own, uh, like software in, in this, uh, like PDF sign, signing and so on. So it's actually quite big. Like, it's not just, uh, this, uh, Photoshop, uh, quite big, but they are quite famous for the Photoshop and, and Adobe Premiere Pro. Like, that's why I mentioned. Okay, um, keep it short, not much insight. Uh, I think I've shared, uh, let's move on. Given that growth stock and tech have dropped so much, is it of good value to enter now? Uh, anyone want to comment? Anyone invest in high growth? Gavin, again, you want to comment on this? <laughs> I think since few man many months ago until now, even until today, I still say it's a good buy because uh, of the valuation that I have, lah. Or most of the picks like Talentia, so on and so forth. So to to me it is still cheaper than what I think its valuation should be. So I, I keep on buying. I still keep on buying. Even until now. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. I think um I just want to say for growth stocks, right? Um it's really harder to value. Um, you know, we had three let's say I I uh, I give three examples of different assets uh, that I think quite uh, like many people are investing. Uh. The first one, right, is like, okay, let's say take Singapore REITs, for example. Um, then the second second group, uh, I call it, for example, like all these uh, profitable companies, let's say S&P 500. And then the third one will be all these high growth stocks, uh, loss-making companies. The first one, right, like all these REITs, right, um, it's very clear because how much return that you are get you, you you will get right. It's just the rental, you know. As long as you know how much is the price of the of the uh, REITs, right, and then how much dividend you uh, which dividend you also come from the rentals, right, then you already know how much the return that you will get already. Like you you don't need to do a lot of like all, all this uh, very complicated DCF because. Um, yeah, rental translate to dividend, dividend translate to the to the return of the shareholders. And if you look, hold it for the long term, right, that's the return that you will get, right? It's, it's very simple. And then when you go to S&P 500, it will be slightly more complicated because uh, for all these S&P 500 companies, whether companies like Amazon, Apple, uh, will they grow at 20% or 10% or 5% in the next five years or, or not? This is like a question mark, right? It could grow 20%, it could also slow down, right? So there's more variation. And when it comes to DCF, it's also a lot harder as compared to REITs already because now you are talking about the business growth, right? Then the third part, which is the uh, all these high growth companies, they do they are not profitable now. 
if you do DCF, you want to make sense of their valuation now, you, you need to like have a very like aggressive assumptions on their growth. For example, like Snowflake, let's say they are growing at, I don't know, like let's say I, I put a simple number like 100% this year, right? Could they grow at 80% in the next three years or not? Or will it sold out to 60% or is it like 40%, right? If you plug different numbers into the DCF, right? The range of the uh, DCF or, or the discounted value, right? Will be very, very different. And even if all these growth stocks, they drop by 60%, 70%, right? Uh, maybe it just implied that the growth rate has dropped from, let's say, uh, 80% to, let's say, 40%. Would that 80 and 40% very high or not? Uh, or can they actually meet discount expectation or not? It still come back to like your expectation on their future growth rate, right? So I would say, Yes, uh, price drop definitely buy now is better than three months back, but that's not useful. Uh, the more useful part is that you still need to come back and ask yourself, right? What's your expectation on their future growth rate, right? Because once their future growth, uh, revenue growth is very strong and then the operating leverage kick in and then they start to become profitable. That's when the company's, um, share price will rally hard, right? But still need to come back to the, to the revenue growth. If the revenue doesn't grow, um, then probably they will stay as like keep burning capital for the next decade, right? Then that they can, they could drop 70% as of now. They could still drop another 90% for the next three years, right? If they are not able to grow. So the question is always like, can they grow and how long can they sustain at this high growth rate, right? So this is a question that you need to ask yourself. And to understand that, you really need to understand the business, the product. If you don't know their products, right? It's very hard to judge. You know, it's very hard because why, why should it grow at, uh, 60%? Say Palantir, right? Um, management guide 30%. Why should they grow at 30%, right? If the product sucks, then I, I think they could drop to 15% next year and then drop to 5% the, the year after, right? Why, why should it be like 30% as, as if it is given, right? It has to come back to like how, uh, the, the quality of the products and then how much reliance of this customer to the product, right? And that's what sustain the growth rate and, and it could sustain for like long, uh, uh, like, like five years, 10 years. Right. And that's when, uh, you can justify like, okay, this, uh, today's valuation looks, uh, attractive. Lah. Yeah. So don't, don't skip, don't, don't just look at the share price and conclude that, um, um, whether it's good or bad. Lah. Try to understand the product. Lah. Okay. Again, um, long, Long answer from me. Let's uh, move on. Uh, what's the best way to get exposure to tech? QQQ. I'll go first, uh, then I'll pass around. Um, QQQ, I think this is like 100 companies on NASDAQ, um, excluding the financials. So uh, it is a very good proxy for tech companies, especially those that is uh, like making money one. You know, companies like Fang, uh, Facebook, Google, Amazon, uh, these are the, the top companies in QQQ, right? Because QQQ, um, they are passive. The allocation is by uh, market cap, right? So if you buy QQQ, uh, for sure, you already like um, allocate most of your money to those uh, companies that is making money. But if you say um, you want to get exposure to tech uh, that has high growth, right? Not just like tech, right? then QQQ is uh, not the right instrument. 
probably you, you might want to get some up if you want to go into those like smaller cap and then um, like higher growth rate or you want to like be more specific uh, buying into like WCLD, which is the cloud ETF. They have uh, quite a number of smaller cap um, tech companies in there. So there are qu quite a number of alternatives, but you need to ask yourself, right? Uh, do you just want to get an exposure to like broad cap, uh, which is like those uh, profitable one or actually you want those like super high growth uh, you are fine with uh, the fact that they are not making money. So these are very different groups. Uh. Yeah, so that's uh, my comment on this. Anyone want to add on on this? Okay, no, let's uh, move on. Uh, DCA or lump sum into S&P 500? <laughs> I, I don't know. Who's asking these questions? Are you here? You want to elaborate a bit? Actually, my, my um, question is more like, uh, why asking this question, right? Because um, like your scenario, is it like you already save up like 300,000 cash and you have zero into equity? Hence, you are thinking on lump sum 300,000. Is that, is, is that the scenario or is it like, like you are starting out like as a just, just graduated, just started to earn a salary and you're thinking of whether you still want to DCA or, or lump sum whatever saving that you have, right? Very, very different scenario, you know? Okay, um, if no, let me give a textbook answer for this. Uh. Um, if you look at those research, they will say, given, let's say assuming, right, I start with 100,000, uh, don't talk about all this commitment, don't talk about how, what's my age and so on, right? I start with 100,000. Should I uh, just DCA this 100,000 to S&P 500 or should I all in into S&P 500, right? Um, the research shown that uh, I think around 60 or 70% of the probability that if you just lump sum, then we can add, can add a sentence here. Now let, let me come back to the, uh, come back again. If you just lump sum, right, you will actually outperform by DCA, just because, you know, uh, stock market, they tend to drift upward, right? So if you know the S&P 500 tend to drift upward, of course, you want to invest as soon as possible. And that's where the lump sum will outperform the DCA. If you already have like, let's say extra cash, right, sitting, lump sum is the better, will provide you better return and the probability around 60 to 70%. With that said, usually, it's quite painful one. For example, you just lump sum and then you see market drop by 7% in one week, right? It's very painful. <laughs> like, like you were just thinking like, okay, the, the lump sum could be like 50,000, could be 100,000, right? You, you just keep asking yourself like, I, I should have waited for that uh, one week or one month so that I can actually uh, like, like uh, outperform um, uh, or, or can get some saving uh, because you know, I've seen that market drop by 7% in the past uh, two weeks, right? I should have waited, you know, that, that kind of thinking is quite common. That's why um, usually from the perspective of like uh, how to manage your emotion, right? Um, DCA will be the way to go. Don't have to really, really rush it. Uh. For example, you have 100,000, then you can, you can just like DCA. You can DCA a higher amount, just, just spread out. Let's say take, let's say one year just to spread, spread it across um, will be better. Uh. I think that's the, that's the approach that I would recommend. Um, like come back to the presentation that I just made, right? Like the building portfolio, the, the one that my friend shared with me. Right? Um, 
like I, I don't want to uh, celebrate, you know, he put in the money, 5,000, the next week suddenly rally by like uh, 3, 3%, then we just celebrate that 3% gain. Right? I don't want to ce celebrate that. Not that uh, I, I will encourage and uh, want to like, like really advocate for like we, we celebrate for the growth of the portfolio over a long period of time. Uh, and the growth should be like something that is sustainable over a long period of time and just grow and grow and grow. And how it grow and grow and grow is really like just keep on DCA, keep pumping, pumping every month. Uh. So um, DCA is my answer. Anyone else want to comment? Okay, let's move on. Okay, questions from Nick. Um, first one, for high growth stocks, the forward guidance can change drastically Q on Q, hence the valuation using DCF or forward ratios can jump significantly. Making fundamental projection and analysis seem of little value, the revisions in valuations play catch up to price. Should we just focus on the price or TA instead? Anyone want to... Like Kelvin, please help out a bit or... Miss Billions. Anyone want to chip in on these two? I, I, I don't know how to do this type of uh, PE thing. I only DCA in uh, QQQ. <laughs> and Tesla. <laughs> yeah, and Tesla. Yeah, that's, that's my biggest holding. So, yeah, I don't, I don't look at it. I, I put my money. I just, yeah, just close the app. Nice. I think that this is why you need to uh, understand the business uh, very deeply. So you have to understand that whatever guidance that they have given, right, is on their best knowledge at that time also. And also analyst guidance is also on their best knowledge. And largely analyst guidance is always uh, following the herd. Lah. They don't really have any special insight. On. They, sometimes they, stay, they write a lot of things, right? They more than not, it's just uh, copying and, and changing the words only. So what you really need to do is you dig deep into the business and understand uh, what the the CEO or the management is, is talking about. What are they guiding for? How long are they guiding for? And also, you you as an investor, you have the the onus is on you to go and find out if it's really the case. Is if that is a realistic projection? Uh. So don't take this on the face value so let's because I'm, i i don't uh go deep into too many uh companies right i actually uh put a, a quite a big safety margin on my uh, uh most of my uh smaller holdings uh. so what i what i know much much more is uh tesla so just for an example i understand how the business is is being done so i uh cross check with uh what knowledge i have in the industry uh how how are they going to achieve this kind of growth and then i also uh get information on the on the uh, macro side from people like you know bunti and, and other communities so that i can you know put put a put a fairly uh certain kind of uh projection uh, that there's no there's no crystal ball Needed, uh, no, nobody can give you a, a hundred percent, uh, sure, sure, confirmed chop kind of uh, analysis one, because if there is everything confirmed, right, then there is no mispricing, and then no one will actually hot be big, uh, right. So you have to put a risk premium on everything, and then take it as a margin of safety. So if you are willing to 
to you know put allocate some of your capital into high growth stocks you should also take into account that uh valuations may change uh, drastically and that's that's the that's just the nature of high growth so and once they miss expectations or whatever, right, the, the, the price will definitely be, be affected. So you, you have to just have that in mind. Lah. Don't, don't think that uh, because uh, the price will follow definitely the, the valuations or DCF, everything is just a guide. There's no such thing as a, as a sure, sure fire method. And even DCF or whatever is just a guide and you, you have to consider the, the risk, the chance of, uh, of a loss. So you put your probabilities uh, appropriately and then uh, allocate appropriately lah, what you can stomach. I think that's, that's that. Lah. There's, there's no such thing as uh, even you say like, oh, I, I, I invest in Tesla for like uh, only three years and I can say, oh, because I'm lucky, I got the, the, the uh, what you call it, the, the run up, right? But actually, I've already looked into this company since 2015 and I'm actually scared to, to put any money at the time. Because for me at that time, from the knowledge I have at that time, right, it's just I'm unsure that this uh, this company will do what they have promised. So then I started to you know look into uh, the the industry, or look into what 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 uh, are they really doing? What they have planned? Are they really uh, executing or what they have uh, shown to do? And to be honest, at that time, I actually. I, I know I, I have, I'm confident in the EV trend, but I'm not confident in Tesla. I actually invested in uh, Daimler and BMW. And only then, after that, I see that Daimler and BMW is not uh, not supporting my thesis, right? not supporting my, my view that EVs will be the future. And then suddenly you see that Tesla is actually uh, supporting my, my view. So then I, I move into that. Lor. And of course, there's a risk to everything. Lor. So uh, when, when you feel comfortable, you you allocate a certain capital law and then you have to be comfortable with if you think that the chance of uh, success is very low that means you also have to take into account the loss of your capital is very high you know so there is always a, a trade-off there's not nothing is free in this world and it depends on how much you are willing to to stomach and how much are you willing to forego uh the reward and hope for the best law that's that's the only thing we can do as investors. Huh? we cannot we cannot we cannot rely on on gurus or analysts too much on saying that oh this one is confirmed you get a certain certain growth right. There's no such thing that that one. If if the analyst can can have a have a have a confirm or have a crystal ball right, they won't be analysts. Huh? they will be partying every day and Maldives or something like that. So just just take everything and then you know always remember to learn and and understand what the numbers tell you and then uh, allocate appropriately. Lah. Thanks, Calvin, for, for the response. Um, yeah, I, I will add on to that uh, and focus more on the second part, the questions here, uh, which asks, like, should we just focus on the price or TA instead? Um, I think on the second part, right, I would say it really up to you when you are investing in the companies, uh, what kind of, like, horizon that you are looking at like we all want to make money right um kelvin want to make money i want to make money everyone here want to make money right but uh do you want to make money over like 10 years or do you want to make money over the next six months right i think this is very very different for example let's say if i ask uh, kelvin now right you invested in tesla um like when, when you put your money into tesla do can you 
like have high confidence that over the next six months, right, Tesla price will be up. Is that your expectation? Uh, yeah, Kevin, maybe you can respond. <laughs> yeah, like for example, for me, uh, since 2015 or 2016, I actually uh, do not know much about the company. So I'm actually uh, riding on the EV trend. And then when 2018 come, I, I understood the company more. And then I looked at that they, are, they have a clear path to profitability. Then I started to uh to under to, to, to read more into this company la, and then uh for me my horizon actually at that time I have actually written a, a, a description on one of the lawyer forums right I actually have my my plans there actually I'm only looking at about eight hundred uh billion market cap by twenty thirty. But then you know you see they overshot it right twenty twenty and then everything uh like just came to fruition so quickly. So for me actually I yeah, just still now I, I still feel that they will they will achieve what they have they have uh they will they will do but not in six months. I cannot tell why is why is gonna happen in six months. So I whenever I invest, especially in this company, I'm looking uh forward up to like twenty thirty and so that's like another eight years for me to like to, to say that okay, they, they they everything has been played out. So some some of some of the people will ask me like well, your thesis was 800 billion at the time, right? Now it's already overshot, right? Why, why aren't you selling? And then what, what I would say is that I, I'm not looking at uh, uh, liquidating the, 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 the position yet because although it's considered overvalued, right? But then the optionality of the other business coming in, right? Is actually also worth, uh, worth to invest. Uh. So uh, although the, my previous... Uh, Objective has actually achieved, right? I, to be honest, I've taken a bit off the table already uh, last year. So, but the rest is like sort of the house money. Uh. So I think I would, I want to uh, have, a, have, a, have a participation in that optionality. Uh. As you can see that the company is still uh, growing and then there are so many other businesses coming forward. My previous uh, thesis for like 2030 was not, has, yeah, did not include all these kind of optionalities, you know. So, that's for me, lah, for my side, because uh, I know the company well. But for other companies, I cannot say much. So it all depends on your, uh, your, 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 uh, your objective. Lor. If you think that you feel that you have reached your objective and then you are fine with uh, you know, taking, taking the chips off the table, then you can, you can go ahead. There's, there's nothing wrong. What? Everyone is here to, to make money, right? And then uh, some make more, some make less. There's no point comparing to, to other people. So... Uh, I think that's all I have to say. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is that um, we look at this as an investment. You want to hold it for like long period of time, right? It's not like you want to make money over the six months period, right? If you just want to make money over the six months period, I would say probably no need to focus so much on the business fundamental because it's not so important, right? How much fundamental can change over three months, six months, right? Uh, you're more or less the, still the same companies over, over such short period of time. Um, that's why, that's where all this price or TA that will come in. If you just say, okay, I buy this uh, ticker, it go up, I sell, I buy low, sell high, lot of profits, this kind of like trading mindset, right? Um, these are the short-term TA or price actions kind of investment strategy. Um, like I'm, I'm not saying all these are bad, right? These are like, uh, like there are people doing this uh, on a full-time basis. Uh, it's just that it's not something that I, I will encourage because this is 
uh, not something that you can just like hold and then hold long period of time and expect to earn money. You need to be more active. You need to set the stop loss. You need to like uh, set a, like a, a target to, to take profits, all these things, right? All this is uh, very active kind of activities. Uh. So that's where all these uh, price actions or TA that will come in. But in this group, right, we are mainly discussing about the business, right? So as, as in long-term kind of investing, you want to hold the companies for years and years ahead as long as they, they keep on executing, right? So come back to Tesla again is that if you talk about like, okay, price action, you can you can speculate on the price. That's the trader job, right? But as an investor job, you still need to come back to like some longer period of time. For example, like 2030s, um, like Elon Musk said, they, they are going to produce 20 million car. Now they are only produce 1 million car. Don't you want to like invest in the companies and look at them every uh, year, keep on increasing their production from one year to two, three, four, five, six uh, million car a year, right? So that one is, it really take time to, to like just hold on it and just, just enjoy the right, uh, as in not the right of the share price, but the right of the business, right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, like five years down the road, you can probably say that actually I invested in, in this company. Back then, they only produced like, uh, what, 500,000 car per year. Now they are doing 5 million, right? It's already 10x. The entire scale of the business already 10x. Could it, should the share price already 10x? It should be, right? Because the share price come back to the valuation, still come back to the size of the business, right? So that's why I would say uh, for all these like uh, comment that you just made, right? If you are very concerned with the short-term price movement um, and whenever all these high growth stocks just drop uh, 50% over like two months and you, you are getting discouraged and, and you just want to fall back to like P, uh, TA, then essentially you are turning yourself into a traders. Um, and your time horizon, time horizon will be shortened and shortened. I'm not saying that's bad. It's just that, uh, my, my personal thought is that don't confuse, uh, long-term investing versus, uh, like short-term uh, trading. Uh. If you want to do trading, you, you should just like uh, have a portfolio that's specific for the trading one. And then you just you just trade. Uh, because regardless of how the business is growing over the long term, if the trend is down and then your trading strategy say, okay, you should sell, then you should sell, right? And and that should be something that is pure trading focus, right? You, you don't want to get in with a trading mindset or get in with a, a investment mindset and then you get out with a, a different kind of uh, mindset, right? It's, you were getting like very messy and after you lose money, you still don't know why. Very scary things when you just uh, match, mix all these different philosophy. La. Yeah, so uh, with your portfolio, I would say that uh, take some time to think about it, like what kind of strategy that you want to have, right? It could be like long-term, buy and hold, uh, passive. This is also one type of strategy. You want to like uh, long-term buy uh, a, a diversified portfolio of growth stocks and you, you are bullish on this growth stock, that's also one good strategy. It's just that don't take same pool of uh, portfolio or money and then just keep on changing your strategy. Um, like suddenly you go in because they are high growth. Yeah, you think that their, their share price will grow at 30%. Now they disappoint you and then you shift to like TA and do TA stuff, right? I think this is uh, very, very dangerous. Now. So, so please uh, pay attention to that. Now. Okay, um, I think we still uh, we'll cover another 30 minutes. Let's move on. Let's see how many questions that we still have here. Uh, okay, not so many. I think maybe we can make it. 
Um, yeah, let's come back to Tesla again. Uh, see, te- Kelvin, get any uh, opinions? Tesla can still buy at this price, very specific price again. <laughs> Kelvin, <laughs> I I don't like to give price uh, targets lah, but you know it's always come down to the individual la. I have so many uh, examples right of people just asking, "Hey, can buy? I uh, can buy?" Uh, you know, and uh, the same thing I always answer that. If you think that the 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 company is uh, can can grow further, right? Then you just buy it all. I mean, different different prices. I mean, it's it's so hard to say, right? If if it can be undervalued at a certain point in time, it can be overvalued at a certain point in time. We just don't know. There's no such thing as uh, a sure win or confirmed chop kind of kind of uh, 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 you know. Even if I say like, okay, let's say. If you ask me more specifically, uh, like let's say, can can Tesla be one thousand two hundred by end of this year? Let's say, right? Uh, then if if I if I give you okay, there is a sixty forty chance. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to are you going to say like if if it if it gets there, are you going to like you know uh, congratulate me or what? Are you going to uh, if it doesn't get there, what are you going to do? So. No one can can tell you, you know, because some people are comfortable with like sixty percent chance. Some people are comfortable with just a one percent chance of, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of reward, right? So, I no no one can tell you lah. But if you just say like Tesla can still buy at this price, right? If to be honest, right, I I I bought at seven ninety lah. But now I'm I'm holding first, so that's my opinion lah. But it's not it's not saying that. You should follow. So same thing, like uh, you know, I'm not chicken genius or anything, right? And I'm not selling anything or so. But that's just my opinion. Thanks for the opinion. Anyone else want to give your opinion? Actually, if there's any bad thesis, I'm also interested to hear that. Nah, Tesla is going to two hundred this year. We give some bad thesis. <laughs> if not, it will be like no bad. Hi. Uh. Yeah. It- Actually, I'm I'm also a shareholder of Tesla. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a great company, and you know, I think Elon is a great leader, visionary, engineer, whatever. But uh, that being said, I do think I do still feel that um, Tesla is quite expensive. Um, yeah, I I mean, even if I give you six mil six million cars right now, lah, assume we are they are producing six million cars right now. Uh, yeah, I would think it's still expensive, lah. But maybe I don't know. I, I think great things have to happen um, in order to justify current prices, lah. Uh, that's just my take, lah. Um, I would I consider myself speculating, lah. Um, trying my luck, yeah. At prices, uh, at such prices, I would think it, I, I'm, yeah, I'm trying my luck. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm holding a. a an undervalued stock or what lah. Yeah. I, I bought it at um eight eight eight. Yeah. For good luck. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> ah, thanks. Thanks for the comment. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned yeah, one thing, I, right? Uh, go go again, Kevin. Oh sorry. Actually I also agree with what A said. Uh the the prices now does not really reflect the uh the value if you talk about you know like the traditional sense lah. a lot of people is actually very um euphoric or rather you know they they believe that the the growth will continue so it's also up to 
do you believe in that growth law? Some people have a lot of uh, money riding on it. Some people don't. Some people have started, you know, since uh, it was like IPO. So they feel that they have already, you know, made or they have already liquidated enough and then they are just letting the rest ride. So that's why there's like different points of view. Uh. So most of, I think, however, I think most people came in around the 2000, late 2019, 2020 time. So they are actually still uh, very hopeful that the, company will continue to grow. I actually, uh, if you say like some, some of you might say that I'm so optimistic, right? Actually, I'm, I don't consider myself that optimistic, but I believe that the company still has some legs to run. Now. Maybe not that some people will say that, oh, 20, another 10x or 20x, because I think that there will come a time where the competition really can, can you know, that there's, there's a limit to, there's a limit to everything. Now. But I still feel that at these prices, still considered okay but may not reflect the value at we're using the uh normal kind of valuation so they put a lot of i think a lot of people put a lot of premium on the uh on elon musk a lot of premium on you know like the the community a lot of premium on uh how they are uh revolutionizing uh certain industries you know, you can maybe draw parallels to like uh the dot-com bubble time right everything with dot-com is like uh, they say, oh, we'll revolutionize, we'll revolutionize everything, right? So uh, it, it's up to you or up to the individual to to uh, to believe uh, whether whether will the will the company you know continue to revolutionize uh, the industry. So some for me, I I look back into their history uh, when when they do not have any uh, things to show, right? Especially before like they they did the model three. I, I did not invest at the time. I only invested when they say that uh, we have we have we have started to ship model trees, and then I saw that people actually they like the product. So then I feel that it's only a matter of time that they will they will be able to scale and then they will bring it up. Uh. And then as time goes on, right, I slowly build up conviction because I see that they are not stopping there. They are not just someone who is satisfied with okay, now we have this product, okay, fine, and then we just keep on pumping this product. But then they you see that. When you when you go deep into the product, you can see that they are making improvements and improvements. And then, because I'm in the the car industry before, I know that there are so many improvements that cannot be done at that pace. So I'm also putting a lot of like faith in that they will continue this pace. Uh. So that's why I feel that uh, they will more than not continue executing and really revolutionize what they are putting their minds to. Uh. But not everyone can understand that. I'm, 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 I, I know. I understand. Not everyone can understand uh, the the industry or how people manufacture cars. How difficult it is. So uh, that's why to that's why to to every investor it's very hard to to convince uh. That's why there are also bad theses, which perfectly fine. So uh, you just need to you know ask around or like like if you need any pointers. Let's say uh, I'm not also not totally expert uh, But if you need any pointers on like why 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 is uh, car manufacturing so difficult or what maybe i can share la, but you need to have specific questions la. yeah actually i'm not so uh worried about competition you know i you know like all these competitions right for example like gm uh bmw i, I don't think they are at a uh, tesla level especially when it comes to software the the growth that i'm more concerned right is that um price point for example 
now they have so much demands, right, for, for, for this year and maybe next two years, right? Um, but that's because they only produce like 1 million a car a, a year, right? But if you put in, like, let's say, 60% car growth rate for like two or three years, right, you could be like producing, don't know how much, right, uh, two to three million million cars a year, right? Uh, would there be so much demand uh, at that uh, production level or not? That's uh, the questions because they are not like um, iPhone, right? iPhone, one iPhone costs how much, right? Like let's say US dollar, let's say 1,000. Um, like quite, quite a number of people can afford 1,000, right? But cars, um, this is like tens of thousands, right? And let's say in other markets, for example, like Singapore or, or other markets, it could be even at a, a premium price, right? Uh, when you try to sell something with that premium price um is is the demand that big um not saying today today yes because of the small production number right if you say i, I expect them to grow at let's say 50 percent for the next uh five ten years right that is uh uh like they're going to produce millions and millions of car right then my question is more on would there be that level of demand uh at that point so because if there's any slowdown or you is uh, starting to see that because of the gigafactories all are running well and you see that they are churning so many cars, right? Then uh, it's not the supply constraint anymore. It becomes a demand constraint, right? Uh, uh, do we do we have enough demand or not? That, that we'll see whether there will be slowdown in growth rate or not. Nah. And if they slow, slow down to, let's say, like 20%, not because of the supply and just because there's no demand, right? Then uh, I think people will just extrapolate a uh, 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 a much lower growth rate forward, right? And that's, you will see like uh, a huge drop in the valuations. Uh. At least that's my, my bad thesis on, on um, Tesla. Uh. Not, not so much on the competition. <laughs> I, I don't see them as that innovative. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very legitimate concern because the price point is very high and then to, to have a market that can uh, support that kind of prices, right? It's not... Is not uh, has not been shown to be uh, sustainable, uh, because if you see, you know, like at that price point, like BMW is only doing like one or two million uh, per year, so you can see that it's not. Maybe you will not see that kind of uh, volumes at that time. So it's a legitimate concern. I I also totally agree with that. So that's why we have to you know, uh, to understand what what will happen no, if that really happens. So. Let's just uh, look forward la, and then see what, what happens. Or what, what will the Tesla, what will they change? Or will they, you know, like if they see that at that premium price, uh, the, the terminal volume is like only 2 million per year, then what, what else would they do to, you know, to stimulate that demand? Yeah. Then another part which is related, uh, which which is the last point already, we'll move on to, to the rest, is that, you know, that the thesis given by uh, Katie Wood, right, she, was, she also mentioned that battery costs will drop over time and this was something that will address uh, my concern because if the battery costs drop and then they bring the price point of uh, Tesla from, let's say, Mercedes and BMW level down to Toyota level, right? And that that's a much bigger market that they can attack, right? Then um, the, the growth rate could sustain uh, even longer. But how much the battery cost will drop? There's also a lot of uh, factors, right? For example, this is when all these uh, Russian-Ukraine war will come in, right? Whether uh, uh, supply chain will be dis will be something that is causing a problem for them to like lowering the cost. I think these are these are these are factors that we need to track uh, and see how 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 good it will be doing. Uh. 
Okay, uh, let's move on. You know, we take. Uh, sorry, I just have one more comment to make. <clears throat> um, I remember reading somewhere that um, they have plans to uh add rocket boosters to their cars. Um, are they, uh, and I think this, if they if they are successful, it will really um revolutionize um vehicle dynamics technology la. like i think if you can add um rocket boosters to the car yeah you you can improve your performance very significantly la. like for example your cornering your stopping distance uh yeah will really be untouchable la. but i i'm just wondering um how when will this come into effect you know uh, don't don't take don't take that too seriously la. because uh there are so many challenges there. And even if it happens, right, it will be very low volumes. Lah. There's, there's really no precedent on uh, putting rocket boosters on cars. So I think uh, what, what Elon is showing is just that he wants to show that uh, Tesla is always at the, at the performance uh, level. So to, um, because there is a certain limit to, to traction when you, you, no matter how fast your car or your engine or your motor can, can provide, right? No matter how much horsepower, right? If it doesn't, if it's still touching the ground, it will still uh, has a, have a limit. So even if rocket boosters, right, there's a traction limit to, to tires on ground. Uh. So actually he's talking about like levitating uh, the, the vehicle. But, you know, take this with a grain of salt, although a lot of things that were science fiction 10 years ago is coming true now, but uh, don't don't put that, into your valuation, I would say it's it, it won't it won't affect it won't it won't be a big uh, impact on the on the bottom line. I don't think so. It's more you have to look more on their their scale on on bringing uh, products that people want to to the masses. Oh, I see. Um, so you mean it's not it's using rocket boosters to power the car entirely, not not using it to enhance the. Uh, cornering because I was thinking like okay for example let's say now you're driving a car right? you know uh, cars they test the stopping distance of the car so like uh, maybe your stopping distance is I don't know uh, 10 meters okay from 100 km to zero for example it's 10 meters so if you add, add a rocket booster you can reduce that stopping distance to maybe I, I don't know 5 meters or something or you know uh, for example cornering you know, when you're cornering, you're, you're limited by your tire grip, right? But if you have rocket boosters, uh, you can corner at a higher speed without going out of control because the rocket boosters are, you know, fighting against the centrifugal force. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about something like that. Not so much like a rocket car that can fly. Yeah, yeah it, it, even, even so, right, like stopping distance and all, right, uh, can, a, can a normal human or a, a lay person, like, um, get used to that. So I think it's a very it will become very small volume, and it's more or more like a a showcase of their technology. Uh, it won't go to the masses. Uh, so I don't think you should put this into uh into your valuation uh, or anything. It's just maybe to you know like a marketing kind of thing that they can show people saying that is look we can we actually like uh, defy the the laws of uh, of uh, the limits of uh, of automotive but i don't think it will it will come to uh, to fruition uh. even you see before they said that there's a, there's a plat plus model right it will like go below 1.99 seconds right but you see in the end also they 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 um they cancel it maybe they had, they they done it in the lab right but it just doesn't make sense to, to 
produce it because no one will, will be able to, to use that in volumes. And maybe the, the cost to uh cost and to, to the to the benefit ratio is just not there. So don't put that into account. Uh. Even is you know when when I drove the the model model three uh long range I think uh, even the you you stepping on the accelerator right you you will feel nausea you know it's not it's not fun so <laughs> not you won't go to the masses uh. yeah I I understand it is like um not not everyone's a F one driver yeah I I understand yeah I can un I understand that yeah I agree with you thanks thanks. Okay, <clears throat> thanks a lot. Uh, let's move on. I think uh, the next question I have answered already. Uh, Bull run continues this year. Seems too good to be true. Uh, I got no more to, to add. Anyone want to add anything on this? No? I think the answer is yes, la, Bull run will continue. La, okay, 50% uh, chance. Yeah. <laughs> 50% chance, another 50% is down. So within short period of time, it's always like 50-50. Uh, uh, that's the, that, that, that answer will, will not be wrong. <laughs> Let's move on. You'll be to investing hands still holding mostly cash now, but not sure how to deploy my funds given the market volatility now. Any advice or tips? Anyone? Yeah, I think this is a simple one I'll give. Uh, if you are newbie, I believe your, let's say your portfolio must be like just started, right? very small, right? Um, just DCA. Like, for example, if you are able to save, let's say $500 per, per month, right? Uh, and you look at the volatility, you cannot take it, right? Then don't invest $500. You, you can do like $200 per month. Um, just get used to the market volatility, uh, get used to the habit of putting money in, into your portfolio uh, every month. Uh, stick to, let's say, like uh, S&P 500 or QQQ, this type of broad market uh, ETF, so that you don't stress out because of your single companies uh, have problem, right? Just just stick to that, have, have that habit first. And when you are comfortable, then just increase your DCA every month. Um, yeah, that's the simple answer for this. Okay. Let's move on. Would it be efficient to buy VWRA and CSPX since there is a bit of an overlap between the two? Uh, for those who don't understand, let me explain a bit what is this VWRA and CSPX. Uh, both of these are listed in uh, London Stock Exchange, so uh, UK, and they are both uh, island domicile. Uh, why the island domicile is that they are, uh, th in terms of the withholding tax, uh, it is more favorable. It's, instead of 30%, it is 15%. So for those who want to like just buy and hold um, this index, right, over a long period of time, right, uh, it's better to buy uh, uh, island domicile, which is this tool. Uh. And then uh, the difference between these two is that VWRA is the world ETF. So if you buy this one, it will cover both the developed market and emerging market. Um, meaning like almost all countries, except for those like very small one. Uh, and CSPX is uh, essentially S&P 500. So I think the question that you want to ask yourself is that, uh, are you fine with just investing in S&P 500, uh, which is the US large cap only, or you really have intention to like have exposure to like most countries in the world? So I think this is like number one questions. If because after you answer that questions, right, you already know whether you should go to VWRA in the case of global or CSPX, which is the case for um, US. Uh, 
And let me also add a, a little bit on this is that if you look at the history, which is the chart that I have been showed, uh, I shown earlier in the presentations, right? Um, you know, the US stock market has been going up like 9.7% throughout the history, right? If you compare that chart versus uh, other countries, right? You'll notice that actually US uh, market outperform like majority of the countries. So they get 9%, right? If you look at other countries, they might be like ranging, ranging between let's say five to like 8%, right? They are like a couple percentage lower than US. So historically speaking, US market has been doing well, uh, com better compared to other countries. And that's the reason people say you don't really need to invest globally. You just invest in S&P 500 is uh, good enough. And if you look at the global, right? How many percent is actually uh, US, right? It's probably around, let's say 60%. So it's not like you are betting on 10% out of the total, right? If you just get US, you already get 60% of uh, of the world. And 40% is like all the other countries all added up. Uh. So 60% is also like, like you're, you're not missing uh, much. Uh. So um, it's already like quite a big one. And if you trust that US will continue to outperform, then just go for the um, S&P 500. Let's say if you say, okay, I, I really want like the ultimate uh, passive, right? Even when it comes to countries allocation, I don't want to focus uh, on um, US, right? Then you can forget about CSPX and just invest in VWRA also is enough. Anyway, inside here, around 60% is US anyway. So you have exposure to US. Hence, you don't need to buy like 50-50 out of this tool. I think that one is not needed. Um, you can straight away go like 100 into VWRA or 100 into CSPX. I think those are all fine. It really depends on your view uh, when it comes to like different uh, countries. And one last point I want to make is that um, if you compare like excluding US, right? Uh, I think the largest one is Europe plus Japan. Uh, these are like, and of course, countries like Canada, Australia, all these um, Western um, economy, right? Uh, versus US, right? I think the biggest difference is also on the sector allocation because uh, like if you look at S&P 500, you have high allocation to companies like all these FANG companies, right? Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and so on. And and these are the com companies that actually like push uh, S&P 500 to a uh, quite high level. If you just exclude all these FANG names, right? Actually S&P 500, um, they have appreciated, but much less, uh, uh, lesser than, than including these tech companies. Uh. Then others, uh, countries, right? Like Euro, Australia, Japan, they are tech, they, they still have tech allocation, but they don't have like this uh, dominant tech companies like Apple, Microsoft, they don't have. So depends on how much uh, like conviction that you have. Uh. If you say, yeah, tech is the way forward, I'm happy to own more into like uh, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, Facebook, these kind of companies, right? Then it makes sense to like just focus on uh, S&P 500 only. Uh. Yeah, so uh, these are the main consideration. Um, when choosing these two. So yeah, that's my answer. Let's move on. Uh, this question is open to all. Any creative ways to get uh, investor relation to reply your questions? Interesting questions. Uh, I got no insight at all. I'll pass. Anyone has any insight? Anyone has a right to investor relation before? 
maybe less so if you invest in uh like US companies, I guess. Let's say if you invest in Singapore companies, you want to seek clarification on on the stuff that they wrote into in report, right? Actually, you can write to the IR, they will respond you. Uh, I mean, for the good companies, uh, smaller cap, uh, depending on high, how big is their IR department, sometimes you don't get a response that's also quite common. But I really don't have, um, really, I, I don't have insight on this now. I'll just pass. Last chance, anyone? Okay, if no, let's move on. Do you miss Chicken Genius Singapore? <laughs> Back to Chicken Genius again. Anyone has any opinions or any like thoughts uh, with regards to this episode of uh, Chicken Genius Quitting? Also, uh, interested to hear your view. What well, was the reason for quitting again? Huh? So uh, basically, I think there's this back and forth between uh, Chicken Genius and a couple of US YouTubers, right? For example, like Jeremy, Mick Kevin, and so on. So I think there's a couple of episodes where they debate on like whether like job uh, employment is uh, leading or lagging indicators of the recession. Um, so so that there's some back and forth between uh, these YouTubers. And then uh, I think Chicken Genius just mentioned that uh, he's receiving too much uh, like criticism uh, or hate messages. I don't know. Uh, basically, he's not happy about all these things. He said it's very toxic um, and it's to the extent that affecting his mental uh, health, uh, health. So that's why he he, he quit. Uh. You might want to watch his uh, latest video to understand, uh, but I don't know whether you watch his video or not. <laughs> Sounds like he'll be back after a while. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I think this one uh ne ne never say never, right? Um yeah, some say he will come back. Um I don't know. But my view is that uh, this is really his choice, right? Whether he want to come back or not. But uh regardless of whether he come back or not, take a short break, um or longer break, right? Or it's all well, right? Um sometimes you just need to tune out uh just to like yeah, tune out. I think that's good uh, for, for health. Anyone else want to like give any comment? If not, we move on. Okay, uh, let's move on. Is it illegal to pretend to be some fictional hedge fund so that IR answer your questions? I believe these questions also came from Punsong. I don't know. Um, pretend to be some fictional hedge fund. I think... Probably don't have to be that specific one, right? Let's say if you just fictionally uh, describe yourself as you are assisting some fund to do some analysis, um, some hedge fund to do some analysis, and you are seeking for some opinion, I think shouldn't be a big problem to the extent that uh, it's an illegal act. But I also don't think that for the IR that doesn't respond to your questions, right? Even if you say you are like hedge funds, I don't think that will change uh, drastically. Because for example, if you are the hedge funds, right? Usually you also don't need to deal with IR, right? You can just straight away talk to the uh, CEO because uh, like if you are hedge if you are hedge funds and you command like hundreds of millions or even like billions, right? Um, you can potentially become a big shareholder of the companies, assuming that companies is a small small cap companies, right? 
then I think all these uh like CEO or or board of directors, if you just reach out to them, I think they will entertain you, right? So you don't have to go to IR. So I don't, I honestly don't think that if you just say you are H1 and, and that will change, uh, how the IR respond to you. I, I believe they, sometimes they don't respond. It's just because that they don't have the resources to answer all these questions or they probably just don't know how to answer, right? Then they just ignore, right? It, it could be, I think this is uh, also possible. But again, uh, I, I'm not expert in this area, so I'll just pass. Anyone else want to give um, your comment on this? Okay, if no, let's move on. How are you all calculating intrinsic value for growth stocks? Okay, anyone? I think this one, we, we need to look at some case study uh, in order to, to answer this. Uh. Um, yeah. For me, let's say pretty simple, right? The intrinsic value calculation is just to project the future cash flow and discount back. I think this is very simple. The harder part is like how, what was the assumption that you put in in order to project that future cash flow, right? Um, I'll keep it simple is that to me, cash flow, uh, yes, there's difference between cash flow and let's say net income, right? But <clears throat> for, 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 for the purpose of illustrating, for me, I would just like, uh, equate them and just say, okay, cash flow is net income. And what is net income, right? It's just the revenue multiplied by the net margin, right? So, uh, and then I would need to have a view, like a projection on how much uh, the net margin will improve in the, in the future. And also how much is the growth rate of the revenues in the future, right? And how many years it will grow, right? And then finally to, to assign a exit multiple, assuming that the company will reach a, a stable growth rate. So just a simple one, because for I think for growth stocks, you you, uh, you you won't screw up because of all these simplifications. Uh, usually, you screw up because your assumption of uh, as compared to the to the uh, reality. Uh. For example, like like you are assuming they will grow at let's say forty percent, right, or fifty percent, right? Then you just need one or two quarters of like drop to thirty percent growth. Then you just adjust that growth rate. The the intrinsic value will drop by uh, like huge magnitude, right? So. That one, I would say that you screw up on your assumption because you assume 50%, it turned out to be like 20%, right? You, you won't screw up because of the model. I mean, simplification of the model is fine. Yeah, it's just a way to visualize whether, uh, like how much given the growth, growth percentage or growth uh, assumption they put in, What's what's today's price compared to the to the value that you calculate, right? I think that's the purpose, uh. It's not really like uh, intrinsic value. Please don't see it as a way to let's say for a company you calculate the intrinsic value is at eighty five. Um, then now the share price is at hundred. Then you you will just buy whenever it drops to eighty five, and then go up to ninety. Then you sell already. I I mean, the intrinsic value is not something like a. a a single number, right? It should be a range, right? For example, you could have a bull and bear assumption and then look at the range of the of the intrinsic value, right? And from there, you are grounded uh, to like, um, you have something to, to uh, anchor with and not just anchoring with the price, right? You anchor it to the fundamentals of the business, right? If not, you, you don't look at the fundamental of the business. You don't look at the revenue and the income margin, right? What you can do is just looking at the price. Wow, dropped by 60%, very cheap already. And, and you don't know, like, actually before they dropped 60%, actually the price went up by 20x, right? So is it still cheap after it goes up 20x down 60%, right? Still no, right? Yeah. 
I think it, it really depends on how you use uh, uh, intrinsic value as well. But in order to answer this, I think, um, let's say if you want to go into details, uh, maybe you can uh, like create a spreadsheet and then you can explain to us like how uh, you are seeing things, right? And then we can give more comments on, on your on your spreadsheet. I think this is could I think getting some, some view also can help you. But it really depends on how, how detailed you want to do. Okay, next one. White House will announce on Monday a new proposal to tax unrealized capital gains of household worth 100 million plus. What's your thoughts for long-term holding? Anyone know the details of these changes? Wow, too difficult question. But I, I saw the headlines, I didn't read into the details. But usually when I see this kind of statement, right, you know, they only affect household worth 100 million plus. Then you need to ask yourself, right, how, how, how many percent of the investor belong to this group that is 100 million plus? Actually, it's very, very small. And then even if you calculate how much assets they control by these uh, uh, investors, right? Okay, that one percentage-wise could be larger than percentage of the population. But I don't think it's very, very large. Uh, um, but I don't have the numbers. But even so, you can skip that part and just ask yourself, right? Those uh, household or investor with more than 100 million plus, right? Then there's all this change of like uh, tax... Uh, uh, like 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 new tax regime or tax rules, right? Do you think that that this group of people, which is like a uh, high net worth people, right? Do you think they will be much affected? My answer is no, because this group of people, right? They can hire like all these tax uh, consultant to help them optimize their tax. They they can, they just run away from this. Uh, I don't think that this is a huge change. You know, I believe this kind of things is really like just for a politician to say, yeah, we are doing our our things, we are making the rich pay for the taxes. It's all politics stuff. Uh. When it comes to tangible um, difference, I am very skeptical. Uh. So I, I to me, I will see this one as like nothing, no impact. Uh. Yeah. The if please remember, especially for US, right? The all these regulations is all like like controlled by politicians and then politicians are controlled by the corporates. So corporates uh, interest, right, which is all this, the, the interest of these rich people, right, they will be protected. Uh, so you don't have to worry too much. If if similar news uh, came out from China, then I think that's a much bigger concern just because, um, you know, in China, the regulators, they are not the the high net worth group of people that can, that, 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 that they are not the same group of people, so I would say. So uh, for US, it's all corrupted one. <laughs> That's my view. So, so especially those, uh, you, you see this online, I, I don't believe, uh, I'm very skeptical. Okay, um, I think that's me. Um, anyone else want to, anything we want to bring up for discussion just before we close, any opinion, any view on this topic or any other topics that we just shared? Uh, just pause a second to see. Yeah, anyway, uh, um, when it comes to talking about like, say, oh, should I buy, should I sell? The second order thinking should always be, after you buy and sell, what do you want to do? Yeah, 
you should answer this question first. I mean, for anyone considering, should I buy, should I sell? The next is always, you should think about the next step first. What, what do you do after you buy or after you sell? That, that is more important to think about because it's all about like, let, let's say I see one of my uh, stock just went up and it hit the overvalued price that I think it is. Then I sell already. What do I do with that money? So that is the kind of thing that you need to consider. Like I might, I myself have like a portfolio allocation numbers, right? So I will maintain a certain percentage at this. I'll maintain a certain percentage at that. And also, I also take into account, like say the income that's coming in for me. So since I have an income coming in, uh, I naturally know that I will be cash heavy whenever income comes in and uh, over time, the, my income power, I mean, my cash power will be increasing, which is why I have a hesitancy to sell things that are, I think will be are my long-term holds. Uh, because if I, hold, if, I, if I sell it after it has gone up, what do I do with it? That's the question. I have to put it somewhere else as well. And putting it somewhere, if, if I don't put it somewhere else, then I'll be holding a lot of cash. Then... I have to ask myself, what do I do if I hold all this cash and for the next, say, six, seven, eight months, uh, nothing significant changes and I don't have any buying opportunities. Do I just hold that cash there? Meanwhile, my cash power keeps increasing from the income that keeps coming in. So th these are the kind of questions that I have to consider before I think about, like, say, buying or selling something. Yeah. So it's fine to have, like, a... It's fine to have like a core power whereby a core power is something that you basically you very conservatively sell, and then it's fine to have like a more like fringe power whereby if it hits your target and you it's it's just like a small small bet or something that you think oh is is going to hit my target and if it hits my target, uh, what am I going to do with it? If if you have like this kind of plans already made out, uh, then it's easier to actually make more rational decisions. Yeah, because the, the number one question that I always come back to is what do I do with the money after I sell? Yeah, I, I cannot just hold that money there and, and do nothing with it, right? Like, I, I mean, what I put inside the bank and collect whatever amount of what that one, two, that one, two percent or whatever. Is, is that what I'm going to do or, or where, where am I going to put it? That's the question. Yeah. And then uh, another question I want to ask uh, is for everyone to consider is let's say if the central bank decides to say raise interest rates to say five percent okay what does it mean in the long term does it mean does it mean that everyone will put money inside let's say with whatever banks and collect that five percent interest uh, and then does it mean in the long run that there's going to be every year there's going to be five percent more money i mean in the short term you're going to have a lot of money removed from all the markets but in the long term there's going to be uh, at least 5% per year, right? Moving forward, if let's say the rate doesn't change. So overall, wouldn't the money supply increase? That's the question I want to ask. And if that is the case, right? Uh, and the money supply is increasing, what, what, what will happen to the economy as a whole? If let's say you look at the time span of, say, uh, two, to, two to three years out of uh, around that time frame. Yeah, I think that's true. That's true. Um, your first 
comment I thought, with regards to like plan what to do, right? I think this is essentially the strategy, right? It's good to have a piece of paper write down. It could be as simple as, um, yeah, I'm buying now and then I plan to buy every month over the next three years. And then regardless of market up or down, I mean, just write it down, right? Like this is what you plan to do now and and what you plan to do in the future, right? And if you want to be more active, you can say, I will buy now. And then depending on what and what, if this happened, I do this. If that happened, I do that. You can also write it down in a, in a, like a piece of paper and see, and look at the, the rules that you set for yourself, like the strategy that you set for yourself and, and, at least you have something to refer to when let's say like market become volatile and you feel like you, you are losing your mind, right? Yeah, I think this is um, definitely good good advice. Hey, there's one more new questions come in. If more people move fiat money into cryptocurrency and stock price is driven by fiat money, will stock price won't move or drop in the foreseeable future? Well, I think this is quite complicated. I'll leave it to YCX. Uh. You, you find final one. Then, then we close the call, yeah? I mean, if if you think of it as a zero sum game, then yes, uh, yeah. The thing is, when you move into cryptocurrency, yeah, uh, uh, I, I mean, ultimately, there's always about, it's always about um, expectations, uh, because uh, you take anything, for example, and you think, okay, uh, let's say I just take a bottle of mineral water, uh, like Evian. Okay, and you say that uh, this Evian mineral water is $4 per bottle. Okay, well, what is stopping Evian from like saying, I'm going to change it to $5 per bottle next. And then um, may maybe they just give some kind of excuse and just say, oh, prices have, uh, I mean, co uh, supply costs have increased. So we have to increase our price to $5 a bottle of Evian. And uh, I mean, in those countries where they don't have a good water supply, uh, people will buy their mineral water, uh, uh, even, and then uh, the the thing is, they just up the price like that, and then uh, people still buy. And expectations is that oh, prices have increased, and uh, and people think oh, I I still want it, I'll still buy. So then, overall, did the amount of uh, even supply actually ch change? Probably answer is no. But the expectation that is high uh, changes, right? That, that's how it moves together with uh, so-called, uh, if you have two classifications, one will be luxury and the other will be Babylon. Uh, so these are the two kinds of goods that it can fall under. But uh, conversely speaking, uh, if let's say crypto is being, uh, someone has a lot of it and decided to... Uh, uh, quickly cash out and they just keep selling it then uh, the reverse sentiment can happen and its value can drop very quickly as well how stocks actually defend against this is that typically speaking if a company uh, I mean traditionally uh, uh, if a company experiencing a lot of uh, selling they will try they, will, they typically uh, because uh, a lot of all these companies, they also have like vesting and they uh, give stock options as like uh, ways to 
motivate employees and also to keep uh, shareholders happy and whatever kind of things. So obviously, if the share price drops, they are affected and their board of directors will vote for like countermeasures to try to uh, stop the bleeding, I mean, stop the price being dropped or like manipulation by all these things. Uh, then there, there are multiple ways that the most common way will be stock buyback. Uh, there are other ways whereby they can like just um, do a stock recount and get back stocks from the brokers and things, all kinds of things. Uh. And that, that is like, in the cryptocurrency sense, it would be like uh, how uh, these projects, they try to do some kind of burn or whatever kind of things that they do it here. The added risk of the added risk of uh, cryptocurrencies versus stocks, uh, if you want to put it in this kind of comparison, is that uh, cryptocurrency, you have to actually look at the security of whichever cryptocurrency you're looking at because uh, they are more vulnerable to hacking. And uh, in terms of like stocks, uh, because stocks are more governed by uh, the legal process, by law. So even if hackers hacked some kind of stockbroker and took the stocks or whatever, uh, it, it typically there's no there's no point to it because all these things are reversible. Uh, the 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 stockbrokers can easily just uh get it back or just write it off or whatever thing because they are all governed by the legal process. Whereas in terms of the cryptocurrency, if something like a hack happens, uh, chances of you getting it back is close to close to zero. Uh, or they, they they might compensate you in a short short change kind of way, la, yeah, depending on how it goes for that. And then uh, th- th- that is the two difference between that. And then, I mean, cryptos are rising, yes. But again, a, a lot of all these rise, uh, you have to try to, it, it's like the early days of the 1920s, 1930s, whereby there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of, uh, people keep thinking that, oh, uh, we want to get into all these um assets they are appreciating in value and um how 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 do you differentiate whether something is marketing and something has real value that really depends on it is 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 way harder in a crypto space uh, because you you don't actually have like a real physical product you can actually touch uh, and use and you don't actually see a lot of businesses around you accepting it so you actually have to go look around businesses uh to see uh no you have to t- i mean i always recommend the kind of uh the more physical approach uh, which is that you you see all these uh all these marketing and all these things uh, and they say oh there's so much usage so and so it's, it's always better to talk to the people who are actually using it and talk about like all the all the real physical value things that they're actually using it for and see whether how much of their operations is being done in that particular way, right? To actually understand on the ground, what is it like? Or is it just all marketing bus? That's the pure concern you have to look about. So the first concern is the security of the network. The second concern is how much of it is actually marketing versus uh, real value generation. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, why I look at it in these ways is that I'm not particularly... A, a speculator in this kind of uh, aspect. I when I when I want to like uh, put my money somewhere, right? I actually I I prefer to be on the winning on the on the like the positive side of the 
of the thing. That means even even if I have to like fall back on it, right? I don't mind holding it. That that is why uh, I I tend to look at things under the fundamentals before I even think about like things like say trading or speculating on it that much. Yeah, and lastly, it's more about like um. Uh, what what do I say? Uh, uh yeah, the, the, the I I I have like uh, uh my position is that I have cash coming in and I have to put the cash in, uh in in the right allocation way so that I can actually like uh not not just build wealth but it's also not to lose wealth to like existing circumstances. So to me, it's more about a portfolio management allocation kind of thing, not so. Of, like a speculation whereby I'm trying to double my portfolio or triple my portfolio in a year or two years, that kind of things. That's, that's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is more of I'm trying to grow my assets in whichever way possible and that's aligned with how I see the future will turn out to be. So my, so take my, take my uh, ramblings uh, with, uh, with, with this context in mind. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for the sharing. Yeah, I, I do. I do agree that uh, in crypto space, especially those smaller ones, there are quite a number of projects that is like pure marketing and pure pump the crypto, right? I think um, whoever looking at this space probably good to take some time to really understand, like, well, uh, what was the substance behind all these uh, marketing stuff? I think that's um, requires a lot more due diligence, stuff. Okay, I'm actually getting quite tired already, like <laughs> burnt burn out already my brain. Uh, yeah, let's uh, end the call here and then uh, let's check again next week. Yeah, Thanks a lot for everyone who has joined in and listened and um, sharing your thoughts. Uh, highly appreciated. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.